0: Forever. So Jonah, this story, if you've been around the church, maybe if you grew up around the church, you might have heard the story of Jonah and the great whale. Um, You probably uh, know the the storyline. Jonah gets the word from God, and he disobeys, and he flees. He runs away, and God brings a great storm. and he He gets thrown into the sea, and this fish swallows him up. And then Jonah repents, and, 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 and God causes the fish to spit him out on a dry land. And then so God calls him again, and he goes and he finally obeys. And the, and the moral of the story normally is with Jonah don't be like Jonah. So, because if you are like Jonah and you disobey God, bad things are going to happen. You're going to end up in the belly of a whale or worse. And so, therefore, be a good person, be a good, good little girl, be a good little boy, and, and these things won't happen. And so, the moral of the story normally is don't be like Jonah. The problem with that storyline, with that, that interpretation of this book, is if that was the interpretation of the book, then the book would end with uh, Jonah going to Nineveh. He preaches judgment, they repent. And The story should end with Jonah celebrating, and saying, "Man, this is the, I, I obeyed, and God did this, and look how He used me in such a great way for this revival to happen." And so, all, and it's all happily ever after. Is that what happens? No. If you know the story, you know it ends after the Ninevites, chapter four, which we'll talk about more in depth next week. But it ends with Jonah furious. He's angry. With God, he sits up on a hill and pouts, and the story ends there. So there's something else going on in this story about Jonah. And what we've discovered is, is talking about why did Jonah leave, why did he run from God, what we discovered was the real reason wasn't this that he was disobeying. Is that deep in his heart, he had put things in his heart that were in front of God's, and those things were threatened when God called him to go to the Ninevites. And so those things that he had put before God, which the Bible calls idolatry or idols, and this, in his case, was nationalism, his self-righteousness, his, his ministry and his reputation, these things were, were primar- primary to him. And so when God comes along and calls him to Nineveh, he says, nope, see you later. And so here we are. He's in the belly of the well, chapter 2, and then he goes to Nineveh. And so what we see is two stories of repentance. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So we've talked about idolatry. We've talked about what it looks like, what it causes, and how to identify it. How Then, then what do we do with it? And the Bible's one solution for sin and idolatry is repentance. Now, if I, when I say the word repent or repentance, what do you think of? I, I don't know about you guys, but immediately I think of a guy on a corner somewhere wearing, you know, boards on the front and back of it or carrying a big sign that says something like turn or burn. Right? Repent or burn. That kind of, you know, it's this idea of, you know, it's, it's a really kind of a negative idea that, you know, you better be a good person, you better straighten out, you better get right with God or else. And that's the idea of repentance. And so, but the, the, the thing is, though, is that right? Is that a good view of repentance? But it, it's central in the Bible, and it's central to being a, a, a Christian. And and a follower of Jesus is to be in a life of repentance. It was the very central message of Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't come around saying, hey, I love you, I forgive you. That's normal what you think of Jesus as saying. Jesus came saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the central heart of his message. So is that a harsh, rough, turn or burn message? So what is repentance? And, and, you know, diagnosis is important. If, you're, if you have a medical condition, finding out what that condition actually is, is like a huge step towards getting help, right? Y'all remember the, the show, Dr. House? Which is hilarious because my doctor, until he retired a few years ago, was Dr. House. I'm not kidding. When I, when I would say that to another doctor, I'm like, who's your primary physician, Dr. House? They're like, really? <laughs> like, yes, really. Charles House. I don't know what the other guy's name But the show is all about that. And it was a really good show. I don't know if it might still be on the air. I don't know. But the show is all about this doctor who walks with a, you know, a cane or whatever. And he is really good at what? He's not necessarily good at healing people. That's not the show, is it? It's all about weird diseases, these rare diseases, these different things that need a diagnosis and if you don't know what's wrong you can't fix it it's like our our lovely truck out here y'all seen that lovely thing out there isn't it beautiful oh man it like i have we have to jump it like every other week and we can't figure out why we've taken it to a mechanic we've shown it to them and they they're they're like we don't think there's anything wrong with yes there is there's nothing wrong with it please tell us fix it you know and we still haven't figured it out. Diagnosis is important. So in order for us to really deepen and grow in our faith and, and grow in our relationship with Jesus, we need to know what repentance is. Because it is central to our faith. And so what we see here in chapter 2 and chapter 3 are two examples of repentance. I think they're a, a case study, as it were. And I think will be very helpful to us. So, first of all, let's, we're going to diagnose this. Real and false repentance. Real and false repentance. And so, you know, there's different kinds of repentance, isn't there? So, for example, this happens occasionally in our house. My, one of my sons will punch the other in the nose or something. And we will witness this. Or one of the, uh, the other who just got his nose punched will come to us in tears to confess the sins of her, his brother And, uh, we will say, you know, so, you know, Knox or Watts, whatever, you know, you, you shouldn't have done that. You should say, sorry. And how does that go sometimes? Sometimes it's sorry, you know, (laughs) it's like, it makes it worse. You know what I'm saying? Or have you ever had somebody like, you you know, some, you've, or maybe you've done something wrong to somebody, or they pointed it out to you, or vice versa, and something like this comes out, man, I'm really sorry you felt like that. <laughs> so there's forms of repentance that aren't necessarily genuine or as heartfelt or whatever as they maybe should be. So, But here's, here's a good question, and this is debated. Scholars on... Both, on any kind of theological perspective, come at this at different angles. Does, is Jonah's repentance here genuine? Is he genuinely repenting? And I've already kind of posed, the pro, there's, a, there's maybe a problem with this, because the whole story ends, and he's not in a good place. So there's, it puts into question, maybe, What's going on here with Jonah isn't full, complete, or at least heartfelt in some way. So let's look at it. Was Jonah's confession, repentance here genuine, or was it counterfeit? Was it false, incomplete, however you want to say that? Okay, some say it was real, some say it was not. Okay, well, let's let's look at the positive side. Let's look at it, and, and let's say maybe... It was. Because like, what are the things in it? Okay. First of all, there's there's definitely some sorrow here. Jonah has come to a place of brokenness, hasn't he? He is in the pit here. I mean, like that's as low as you go. Now, whether you believe, and I'm not going to get into the debate here, whether you believe this is literal, that like he actually ended up in the valley of a well, or some Christians would say that this is more of like a parable that's you know, and it's using the idea of a fish as uncleanness and... It's really, he just got to a really, really low, bad place, regardless, okay, where you land on that. He's in a bad place. He's really in a low place, and he is crying out to God, I called out to the Lord in my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, not even a whale, Sheol, he's like, I'm in hell, is what he's saying. Out of the belly of hell I cry to you, and so on. So there's a sense of sorrow here. There's tears. He's, hard. He's having a hard time here. Okay? okay? Also, it acknowledges God, His greatness and His sovereignty. It says, you, God, salvation belongs to you, God. So it acknowledges God. It acknowledges who He is, what He's done, all these different things. All oh, that sounds great. It acknowledges also that idolatry prevents us from His grace. It's a true statement. And, uh, those in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, of his grace. Okay? He also he even pleads and vows his praise and sacrifice to God. So he's that down at the end there. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. He, this is a guy that is gonna make it right. You see it? He is ready. He's gonna. He has turned so he wouldn't burn anymore. He's ready to go. And then, to top it off, he is very religious. This, 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 this prayer, especially if he was actually in the belly of a whale, which Jesus seemed to think so, this is a pretty eloquent prayer coming out of the belly of Sheol and, and the belly of a whale. Because he alludes to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least eight Psalms here. He is, he is, so Psalm uh, 3, Psalm 31, Psalm 22, Psalm 47, Psalm 69, Psalm 88, Psalm 118, Psalm 120. He is, these are all allusions right into his prayer. He, this is religious. This, I mean, he is praying like a pro Jew here. I mean, you know, in like Southern Baptist. Southern Presbyterian, like, this would be with all the these and thous, and, you know, it would sound really, oh, Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, you, you know, it would sound so good, and so, it's, he he sounds really good here, it's very religious, so it sounds like this could be really a, really heartfelt, I mean, this really sounds good, man, like, when, when your kid comes to you, and he's crying, and he's like, I'm really sorry, you know, and, Then he turns around and does it again, right? (laughs) So is this genuine or not? So that's what we said. However, let's look at it a little bit closer. Let's let's examine his prayer here a little bit closer, okay? And, And this is the arguments people would put, that this may not be as genuine as it seems on the surface, okay? First of all, and probably most importantly, Unlike many of the Psalms that he is referencing, he never acknowledges his own sin. Did you see that? He never says, like like David does, Psalm 51, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. So this is one of those, I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry this turned out that way. And I'm sorry I'm in a bad place right now. It's not, I'm wrong. I've put things before you, God. I've, I've broken our relationship, turned away from you, disobeyed, none of that. There's a um, There's a conversation right now. There was a, 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 a lady who was captured, I don't know where she, maybe in Syria, um, who was working to... to uh, uh, Advance the cause of ISIS and national, you know, international terrorism, and she's been banned from the United States, uh, her hometown, that she would, in Alabama, where she would like to go return after she spends a long time in prison. And I heard on the radio there was a conversation. There was another guy who actually himself was also arrested for advancing terrorism on the internet and different things of this sort. And actually. He kind of had a conversion and a sense of he he began to work with the United States government. He has been forgiven and actually after some prison time lives here in the United States as a free man. And so which one should you believe? Which one should you believe? And so on. And I, I, I heard some clips of this lady. And this was the prayer. It was, you know, I'm so sorry that, you know, a few innocent people got hurt. But... That, you know, the, 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 just like they were in our country. And this and it was all this justification, all this stuff. It was really never an acknowledgment that what she had done was wrong. And so that's where he's, he, he never acknowledges his sin or wrongdoing. Next, he's, he is sorrowful for his situation, but not having sinned against God. Okay, also, Jonah, notice, he concluded that his woes, his problem with uh, Yahweh's, he, he concluded with his, Woes with Yahweh's deliverance, but he credits himself for God's rescue. Listen, verse uh, seven says, "I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." So he, even in the very end, he's kind of taking credit for God now saving him. Okay, keep on going. He rightly acknowledges. That idolatry prevents us from receiving God's grace. So there's a verse in here, verse 8, we already mentioned it, that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope for God's grace, or their, His steadfast love. And that's, that is a true statement. However, what it seems to mean here in the context isn't that he is acknowledging his own idols, but he's saying that those Ninevites, those pagans who worship statues and things of that, they forfeit God's grace, but me, on the other hand, verse 9, but I, notice this, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. So he hasn't even acknowledged it. Okay, moving on, he says, okay, um, it, actually, we got one guy put it this way uh, Jonah rightly says that idolatry blocks people from receiving God's grace, but that, what people. He is referring, what people are he referring to? Excuse me. In the context, he is saying that pagans who worship, and there's still a sense of superiority and self-righteousness that will cause him to explode in anger when God has mercy on those Jonah sees as his inferiors. So he hasn't repented, has he? So we see with Jonah, a great example of what repentance is Not. What is repentance? So sometimes to know what something is, it's good to start with what it is not. And that's what Jonah does for us here. He shows us how not to repent. Like, don't get all religious. Don't get all fancy. You know, and so on. So repentance is not, first of all, first of all, repentance is not just sorrow for sin and its consequences. Now, repentance needs sorrow, and it needs to acknowledge brokenness, but repentance is not just being sorry for your sin. It's not just recognizing your sin. I know people that recognize their sin and and will never repent. They will tell you, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm a horrible person. they, They totally acknowledge it, totally see it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon the great Baptist preacher said this many believe that so many tears is this on the screen yes awesome okay many believe that so many tears are to be shed and so many groans are to be heaved and so much despair is to be endured where did they get this unreasonable notion unbelief and despair are sins therefore I don't see how they can be constituent elements of acceptable repentance. Yet, there are many who regard them as necessary parts of true Christian experience. They are in great error. So just being sorry, just crying and being miserable, doesn't mean you've repented. And we see that here with Jonah. We see in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, let me turn there, um, We we see that there there is a godly sorrow, but it's also contrasted with another kind of sorrow. So there's different kinds of sorrow we see here. Look in verse 10 with me in uh, 2 Corinthians. It'll be on the screen. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. In, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you prove yourself innocent of the matter. So in other words, Paul, even Paul, uh, extinguishes between what he calls a godly grief and a worldly grief. And what we see here in Jonah is a grief. He's grieving. He's sorrowful, but is it a godly grief leading to repentance? So, repentance does not sorrow for sin and its consequences. Also, it, um, just having conviction and acknowledgment of your sin is not repentance. We've already said that. Okay. Also, trying hard to be better. Repentance is not just trying hard to be a better person. It is not a New Year's resolution. And you see that with Jonah here? Jonah's like, "I, I vow to you, I will pay what I owe." So he's, he's, he's saying, "I'm going to be a better person." And I don't know about you guys. I've always thought of repentance as, I see that I'm wrong, I feel bad for it, and so then I resolve to be better." Anybody with me on that? That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. Why? Jonah isn't repenting of what's really in his heart, which is that he he, he thinks he can do it on his own, that he's good enough, he's righteous enough, and he's better than those Ninevites. It's going to lead him to despair over their mercy for little children and women and, and people. Trying harder is not repentance. You know what it is? crying harder. It's what the Roman Catholics call penance. You know what penance is? When you're a Roman Catholic, you go to confession. We were actually, in, when we were in Ireland, we had, I uh, saw a good example of this. We went to, uh, who St. Patrick's, was it? Uh, Christ Cathedral. Yeah? No? Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Big cathedral. And we go inside, and all along, both walls are these doors. Caught my attention because I'm kind of, you know, you're looking around or whatever. And on the doors, in the middle of them, there's two side doors and there's a middle door. And there's the name of the priest or the bishop or whatever who would be in there. And you would go in and do what? Confess. And it would help to go in with tears and sorrow, you know, of course. Father, I have sinned. And he would do what? He would absolve you of your sin and then give you what? Penance things you must do to pay back, to pay for your sin. A definition is, penance is voluntary self-punishment inflicted as an outward expression of having done wrong. Or it's, it's, it's working to pay back what you've done, what you've done wrong. It's making restitution and so on. Let me tell you, penance and repentance are not the same thing. So, Let's talk positively now. So what is the solution? What is the solution to our sin? What is the solution to our idolatry? Genuine repentance. So what is genuine repentance? What does it look like? Well, if you look here in chapter 3, you get a, a glimpse at it. And you see the Ninevites. Jonah comes into the city, and which is amazing because... Uh, This is a large city. And some would say that God has prepared the city for his message. Because we've said early on that just him going there and beginning to talk at all was probably going to cost him his life. It would have been like a a rabbi going to, in the middle of Berlin in 1941, in the middle of World War II, and preaching to the Nazis that God was going to judge them. How long would he last? Right? That was kind of... However, what we know in, historically is that Nineveh and, and, and the Assyrians had been faced with some plagues, some famines, and some military defeats, and, 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 and there was some full moons, some blood moons, or whatever, other omens that happened, and they, they were really in a place of like, what's going to happen? It, you know, it, are the gods going to tear us down? What's gonna, you know, and so on. And here comes Jonah, and he preaches, and it was, just, it was, the, it was the match that lit the tinderbox. And people begin to repent. And let me tell you, there was sorrow, and there was a, but it was, it was a, a very different. And it, was a, it was a turn, and it says this, and, and the king and it says, call upon God. It's very simple. In other words, what is repentance? Is simply turning to God for His grace, for His mercy. Period. And, and this is—I don't know if y'all have noticed this book, the comedy in this book. Have y'all seen the comedy in this? Like this needs to be like a like a tragic comedy play, you know? where you know, and where it, when when Jonah gets vomited out you know, a bunch of extra stuff flies out and hits the crowd or something, you know, and people laugh because that's what's happening because Jonah is supposed to be the prophet of God. He's supposed to be the righteous one. He's supposed to be the good guy. And who keeps showing him up the whole time? He's on the boat. The storm is raging. Who repents? The pagan sailors. And now... You see him with his fancy prayer and his self-righteous prayer of supposed repentance. And then the next chapter, who's genuinely turning and repenting and receiving God's mercy? Who's receiving God's steadfast grace? The pagans. The supposed idolaters. So what is genuine repentance? And here's the thing, real quick, just as a side note here. This is, I mean, the text, I mean, in a couple sentences, describes what, one person put this way, one of the greatest um, revivals history has ever known, okay? All it says, the people of Nineveh believed God. Those few words, that one phrase, okay, those few words, one guy put it this way, describe the largest revival recorded in the Old Testament as the entire population of Nineveh Numbering in the hundreds of thousands, repented and returned to the Lord. Whoa. Right? One little sentence. And so they just turned and they, they turned to receive God's mercy and his grace. And Joel, another prophet in the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, said calls Israel says, Return to me with all of your heart. With your fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So there's that part of it. And he says, and rend your hearts, not just your garments. So Joel gives us a picture of what genuine repentance looked like. It's very simple. Return to me with your heart. What does that mean? Okay. Gen- true repentance definitely has sorrow. But, it, but what it does is it turns away from those idols, those things that we've elevated in our hearts above God. As a matter of fact, in Hosea and other Old Testament, these are, these are all minor prophets, by the way. You can get all this there. Okay, In the book of Hosea, Hosea is commanded to, to go and marry a prostitute, Gomer. And he said... I want you to go marry this prostitute. And, I, and, and when she leaves and goes to do her prostitute, I want you to go. I want you to retake, go back to her. I want you to redeem her. I want you to take her in. And it's all a picture, a prophetic picture of what God and how God sees our relationship with him. That we are like as if we were married. And, and we have gone away from him, our true spouse, our true love. And we've gone and prostituted ourselves out to others. And so, true repentance recognizes the, the relational aspect of our sin, which is that we have turned from our true love, from our from God, and we've turned to another. That's the picture of idolatry. And so, what is the answer to that? that we will return to him. And so one one author put it this way, when we sin, we play the part of an adulterer who looks for satisfaction in another rather than the only one that can truly satisfy. That is why David said to the Lord, against you and only you have I sinned. David rightly saw his failures in light of relationship, and as a result, his heart was grieved as it can only be when we sin against the one we love so much. And so, what's the answer? The answer to repentance is to turn and gaze upon God and His glory. To turn and and see what He has done for us. To see His true beauty. To see His magnificence. To see His love for us. To see His love is so deep and so amazing that He would send His only begotten Son. Not just to, to, to serve, but to die so that we could be reunited with Him. He's willing to pay and has paid every and any cost possible. He's willing to go anywhere to save anyone, no matter how messed up, how far gone you may think you are. He has done it all. And one, point, one author put it this way, the more we glimpse, the more glimpses we have of the glory of God, the more we, we, will, mourn, the more we will mourn scorning that glory, and we want to amend that and go back and return. so God leads us to repentance. Romans 2.4 says, Do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Did you hear that? God's kindness leads us to repentance. Why? God knows what we truly need. He knows the heart. He knows the home of our heart. And he says, come back. Like to the prodigal, come back. And when you we come back, he receives us in mercy and love. And so it's not feeling bad. It's not all these things that we've seen. It is not trying harder. It's not being trying to be a better person. It's simply turning back and saying, God, I need you. I need what you have. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this word. We praise you so much. That even out of the Old Testament and the minor prophets.